0: All right, Prakash, I think it's time. Do we have to do this? Yes, it's called the Real Talk Roundtable, and being real means showing our first ever recorded podcast to the people. But I sound like such an amateur. You still do. Oh. But we said it's a learning process, and it's a nice way to end the season by reflecting on the first episode we ever recorded. Fine. Let's do our final quick facts of the season. All right. So for those who don't know, as of 2016, the population for the City of Toronto was 2.8 million, and the 2019 City Council budget was 13 billion dollars. You will hear former City Councilor Sarah Dusset mention that this budget was around $12 billion in 2018, or $11.12 billion to be exact. And
1: while different versions of it have been around for over a century, the current Toronto City Council was created in 1998, after it merged with the Metro Toronto Council. It's governed by elected City Councilors, who sit on committees that report to the rest of the City Council. These committees allow for debate and review of items before these matters make their way up to the rest of the Council. They're also open to the public and allow for presentations or what's called deputations by citizens to the respective committees. And personally speaking, from sitting in on a few of them, I actually learned a lot about what goes on in the city of Toronto.
0: Also to note, there are 25 city councillors as of 2019 who serve a length of four years in their office. Historically, Toronto had a peak of 45 councillors, which was made up of 44 ward councillors and the mayor. But this was changed in 2018 when the provincial government passed legislation to reduce the number of councillors to 25. Speaking of which, the last thing to keep in mind is that we conducted this interview in November
1: 2018, right after these cuts were enacted and right after the city election. So I have a feeling Sarah will have some thoughts about these changes, mainly because we already did the interview and we know what happens. My name is Prakash. My name is Ajay. And this is the Real Talk Roundtable. today with us we have Councillor Sarah Doucette. You don't mind if I call you Sarah? That's fine, yes. That's good. Uh, Sarah is City Councillor for Ward 13 Parkdale High Park and has been since December 2010. Her ward includes the Humber River and many local parks, most notably High Park, which Sarah affectionately calls the Jewel of the City. Sarah is also Vice Chair of the Parks and Environment and Vice Chair of the Board of Health Committees.
2: Correct, yes. That's good.
1: And so before we get started, we'll go into your bio a bit more into the questions, (laughs) but I just want to ask you, do you really believe you would have beaten Gord Perks in the election?
2: Honestly, I think I had a very good chance um, partly because I am, I'm well known in my ward So, the two wards would would come together. I may not be so well known in Gord's ward, but I am well known in my ward. So I think I would have had a good chance, yes.
1: Okay. So, uh, Councillor Perks, if you uh, have a rebuttal, feel free to uh, let us
0: know and we can have you on the air as well.
2: Exactly. Gord, come on on.
0: (laughs) 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 But in all seriousness, right, a lot of effort, time, money and people go behind getting a Mm councillor elected. Uh, But what we'd like to understand is, why are they so important?
2: Why council is important or Correct. why are the elections important? <laughs> the counselors. So a bit of both, actually. Um, as a councillor, I've been in two, two campaigns in 2010 and 2014, quite different when you're running for the first time than when you're running to be re-elected. Right. Uh, Councillors are important because we are the contact for our residents with City Hall, with a lot of the city divisions. We aren't It's not just a counselor. I have four members of staff who work for me full time. They are my frontline people. They're the ones who answer the phones, the emails, and do the day-to-day concerns and inquiries we get into the office. So, councillors, as I say, we represent the residents, we sit on various committees, you've mentioned Parks and Environment, our Board of Health, Library Board, um, Heritage Toronto, we sit on all of our business improvement areas, which are BIAs, so we are there representing our residents, and we are there to gather information from the residents, what their concerns are, and how we can help them at City Hall, and how, if necessary, we can make changes to how the city runs.
1: And so to that point, for those who may not know, what are the primary responsibilities of a counselor? And what does your typical day look like?
2: There are no typical days. (laughs) The only typical thing about my day is I usually leave my house at 8 in the morning. I get to City Hall anywhere between 8.30 and 9.00. I leave City Hall at usually around 5. I go home, I try and have a bite to eat, and then I'm usually at a meeting at 7, 7.30, and I'm out till around 9, 9.30 at night. That's Monday to Thursday. Friday, I try to keep the evening clear, so I'd like to see my husband once in a while. <laughs> and then Saturdays and Sundays, we do community events. So our de- general day-to-day is we're in board meetings, we're meeting with residents, we're meeting with city staff, we're listening to people, my staff will come to me if they have a concern about something which they've been asked to look into, which they aren't getting answers, or they don't understand, or they think I should be involved. So there is no normal day. No two days are the same, which is why I love this job. Um, evening meetings are generally in the ward, doing development, uh, transportation, as a councillor, we help residents on things which they touch, smell, and um, use, I guess, and sense. Okay. Um, as a new councillor, I didn't know how much the city does in the day-to-day lives of so many people,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's, it's a mammoth learning curve as a new councillor probably takes a year or two to really understand what the city does we have a 12 billion dollar budget and we have to balance we have to balance our budget at the end of the year which a lot of governments don't but we do have to
1: okay and so asking the fundamental question of what does a councilor do do you participate in meetings is it are you going to reach out to community events are you uh, talking to community members directly, all of the above. What is, I guess, the primary responsibility of a councillor?
2: The actual responsibility really goes back to, as I say, representing my residents at City Hall. So Ward 13 has around 56,000 residents. Now obviously not all of them contact me. Um, I read somewhere in 2010 that about 1% of your residents contact you. But I also read that 72% of my ward have higher education. And you will normally find that people with a higher education are more likely to feel comfortable reaching out to their city councillor. So we can go from 50 to 200 emails a day in my office. Our phone can be ringing off a hook, or the next day we get five phone calls. So yes, I attend board meetings. But you can't just attend board meetings. You have to read the agendas. Mm -hmm. I spend usually all weekend reading agendas. Being on Board of Health and Library and Parks and Environment, those are big agendas. Mm -hmm. So yes, you sit in board meetings. Some can be an hour. Some can be three, four hours long, depending what the the meeting is. And then you will put motions forward. So um, when we are doing something on Board of Health around um, safe injection sites, we needed to move motions to get the province to give us permission to do a safe injection site, but we also had to have permission from the federal government. Mm -hmm. So it's all three levels of government having to get together to say, yes, we can do these things.
0: So suffice it to say, you're a very busy woman with a very demanding schedule.
2: Very demanding schedule, and yes, very busy.
0: Now, given that it's so demanding on your time, on your people, on your family life, and on your personal life, Mm -hmm. one would have to imagine that you are very personally tied to this job, were invested in this job. And as we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, you come from a long line of municipal politicians. Had you always hoped to get into municipal politics, or was it more of a call to action for you?
2: When I came out here, no, I wasn't planning to get into politics. I came from England, obviously, when I was 18. wasn't planning to get into politics at that point. But in 2009, 2010, when I felt that our ward was not being represented very well by the local council at the time, and some friends approached me and said, have you ever thought about running for council? I sat down and I really thought about it. And I thought with my connections in this community, I'd been a very active parent in the elementary schools, the high schools. Um, I'd help keep Swansea Memorial Library open with a group of people. We'd help build playgrounds. I was known in my community in that respect. And everyone said, well, you're not going to win the first time anyway. You always have to run twice because you're not, a, you know, you're not an incumbent. So I said, OK. So I threw my hat in the ring. I won the first time round. Um, I won by 2,000 votes. I beat an incumbent who had been a councillor for 22 years. No small suit. No. (laughs) But you know what? I took advice from a very dear friend of mine, David Miller, who was mayor at the time. And he said, the more doors you knock on, the more hands you shake, the more votes you get. So yes, looking back on my family history, my mother was always out there helping people um i follow from what she taught me to help people and that is what a city councillor can do you can really help change people's lives
0: and it almost seems as if you you evolved into that from just being an active community participant active community leader it seems like you you almost made that transition naturally. Like you said, you already have a lot of a base in your own ward. Yeah. uh, I
1: also want to ask a question based off that. So I know nowadays, especially with our communities growing and becoming more diverse, do you think for people who are running uh, for elections coming up in the future, do you think it's as easy as it was back then? Is it harder back then compared to now? Like, have you noticed a change in the way people campaign?
2: Uh, technology. <laughs> I think we always said in 2010 it was the first election where we had Facebook. I mean, it sounds weird now, right? Mm. right? And Twitter.
0: Almost going out of style. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, both, I still do Facebook and Twitter, that's, we do that's as still well. what I do.
2: <laughs> I'm not good at Instagram, I have an account, but I very rarely use it. Um, and that in this last election, in 2018, it was a lot of videos. So technology is changing. I think, though, going back to your question about how hard is it to get in, um, one thing I never did was promise anything. The only thing I promised residents was I would work hard and represent them. I never promised them a particular item to get done right. because I didn't know if I could or not. Hmm. And I've always said to people, I will never promise you anything if I don't know I can fulfill my promise. Because i are used to politicians promising things and they're not happening.
1: But to that point though, you ha- while you haven't promised anything in your campaigns, you have had a few successes. And <laughs> I, I guess I want to ask you in your own words, what are some of your big successes as a councillor?
2: So for local, so it's interesting being a councillor because you don't just represent your ward, you represent the city locally in my first term, and it sounds like minor things, but we protected a bus was going to be canceled. They were gonna cut that one bus, so we saved that. We saved Runnymede Swimming Pool, which again, doesn't sound like much, but Runnymede Swimming Pool, uh, they, I learned they had a morning program for Muslim women. Muslim girls. Muslim girls cannot swim co ed. They cannot go to public swimming pools. So they had closed the pool to the caretakers, weren't allowed. Only female instructors were allowed around the pool in the morning and they taught these girls to swim.
0: It's funny we take so many of these things for granted and, and not really realizing the yeah. effort and the people and the and the conversations that go behind making them happen, right? And if there isn't that representation of, of, of the sentiment of your ward, right, or of your constituency, yeah. then really there's no way to do that. Right. So
2: exactly. Yeah. I also work very hard on the library board to keep libraries open, to expand the hours, because there's nothing, no point having a closed library. The you know, the only good library is an open library. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and we're expanding so libraries again are not just four walls full of books. It sounds weird, but we've over eight years we've renewed and put in new playground equipment in all of our major parks. That takes a lot of time and a lot of energy.
1: And to that point, I think it's it's fascinating when you see people come together and actually do these things. It seems like a movie kind of story when you have people kind of coming together to make this change happen. To counter that point, how does it work to, how does it feel to work with people that you may disagree with mm-hmm. or have fundamental differences with? How do you deal with that?
2: Well, city council is a good example of how we don't always agree, but that's, because we're representing 44 wards across the city. So our ward is quite different to a ward uh, in North Etobicoke, mm-hmm. in North Scarborough. We need different things. And we look at different things. So my belief always has been to work with everyone. I don't always have to agree with them. They don't always have to agree with me. But I will take it item by item.
0: And suffice to say that you know nothing you do is, is very easy. Um, and nor are you looking for that. But what we'd like to get a better sense of is, you know, we know you work hard, you work through some very difficult issues trying to build consensus, but at a higher level, um, help us understand what are some of the, some of the difficulties you faced as a counselor, Right? Was there anything you might have done differently in retrospect?
2: Um, at public meetings, I might not have stood up quite so much. I might have let staff run the meeting so much. Why is that though? You become a dartboard. Really? So when you have development coming into your community, um... People are scared, people don't want change, they're concerned about the massing of the building, how, how it's gonna block their personal view, how many residents it's bringing in, how many cars it's bringing in, where are the kids going to school. People feel that counselors have far more power than we actually do. So my belief has always been to work with residents. I've done, in eight years, I've done two what we call Developments 101s, teaching residents how to get involved. Right. Makes my life a lot harder because they get involved, <laughs> but I shouldn't be making the decisions for someone Development, which I can't see from my front door, will not affect the traffic on my street, but will affect a part of my community. So standing up at public meetings and telling residents that we can't click our fingers and make this development go away, but we can work with a developer to reduce the size and change the development, not everyone likes that. By me standing up and helping with these meetings, I became the dartboard where city staff and planning staff Got off very easy. But I truly believe that when I'm representing my residents, I have to be prepared to stand up at these controversial meetings and let my residents know I'm there to support them. But I can't wave a magic wand and make miracles happen. But I will be honest with them. My staff also early on, first four years actually, told me that I shouldn't quite be as honest with residents. So if a resident asks me a question and I know the answer and I know they're not going to like the answer, I would tell it to them and they would get mad at me. Whereas I was told that I should say, I will get back to you on that one. Let them calm down, go away, and then a day or two I'll come back with the same answer, but they wouldn't be so mad at me because I've had a chance to calm down. So we do tend to do that now.
0: And I think that's a natural reaction, right? Uh, Now, question for you, earlier on you, Let us know that there's probably 100,000 plus people in your ward.
2: There's 56 right now, now. 56,000, but with the 25 councillors, there'll be about 110,000.
0: So, makes this question even more relevant. how do you stay in touch with your community members, right? Have you found it difficult to stay in touch with them? I mean, there's only so many people you can meet, so many emails you can respond to, so many voicemails you can give a call back to. So how do you stay in touch with them? And what's your biggest barrier to doing so?
2: So I have brilliant staff. As I say, I have four full-time staff. Um, I have constituent office staff, I have administrator, and I have an executive assistant who helps me with planning, uh, with policy, procedure, and the big planning. I stay in touch with as many residents as I can by going to BIA meetings, residents' Association meetings. I never missed a single development meeting in eight years if something was going on in my ward. On weekends, I'm out and I'm about. I'm at any event which I get invited to in my ward. I get invited to events throughout the city, but my priority is my ward. Um, I think I have been engaged with my community. I often hear people say, do you ever sleep? Do you ever go home? You're always everywhere. What's the answer? The answer is, I love my job. I will give seven days a week to my job. My children are old enough that they don't need me around as much, Mm -hmm. Um, but I am dedicated. And to be a good counselor, you have to be dedicated, and you have to be prepared to sacrifice your home life and your personal life. That's what a counselor is about. You are on call 24-7. I know maybe we shouldn't be, but with technology nowadays, we are accessible.
1: Uh, to your, to our listeners, I think it's a great question to ask. Why do you think it's important for everyone to engage with their councillor and municipal governance in general?
2: Well, as we've heard, you know, we do look after your main day-to-day things. We do your roads, we do your sidewalks, we do your libraries, we do your swimming pools, your parks, um, your health. Uh, so much are there that even if you don't have a concern, it doesn't hurt just to reach out to your councillor. Get to know who they are. Get to know what their top priorities are. Let them know what you want them to do for you with the city. Whether it is a local issue, um, whether it's a big city issue, I'm encouraging all my residents' associations to reach out to their their residents and then reach out to the councillor and let him or her know what is going on. That's the best way to keep the councillor engaged.
0: Now- We know that, in principle, it's a good idea for us to engage with our municipal governance and councillors. But what do you feel the public is giving up? What do you think the ward is giving up if they don't engage? As you said, you look at your engagement rates and it's about one percent of your ward might actually contact you or speak with you and come out to these associations Mm -hmm. and meetings. So what is it that the everyday person is missing out on when they're not engaging in their municipal politics.
2: Oh, having a great conversation with your councillor.
0: Um,
2: I believe our ward is probably more than 1%. I truly do. For instance, I will hear from someone that something's going on in the neighbourhood, that they're having issues with some break-and-enters, and no, they haven't bothered contacting the police because they, they don't believe the police can do anything. They didn't contact me. And I just say, how, am I, how would you expect me to help you if I don't know about something? As soon as I knew about this particular area, I went to our local police. We work very closely in my office with 11th Division. There's a lot of things you have to look at. Not everyone always knows where to go. So a lot of the time in my office, we are saying, well, actually, that's not municipal, that's provincial, or that's federal. So having, as a counselor in an office, having good communication with your MP and your MPP, I feel is crucial. So residents may go their whole life and never reach out to their because they don't need to. But the, if there is something going on in their community, reach out, because they may be able to help you. They may know someone who can help that homeless person, that panhandler. I like to get to the, the bottom of why that person is panhandling, why that person is homeless, rather than kicking them off the street and moving them on. Now, some business owners don't like me because of that, because I want to know if that person doesn't have a home, I'm gonna introduce them to a group called Street to Home. They literally come and meet them on the street and they help them find accommodation. But I need residents and all councillors need residents to get in touch with them, email, Facebook, Twitter, anyway, all call 311.
0: In essence, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly, Mm -hmm.
2: exactly. And then when people come and say, well, why didn't you do anything about it? I'm going, well, we didn't know about
1: it. Mm And what about newcomers, Mm. especially with the language barrier? How can they engage with counsellors, especially knowing that they may have a fear of connecting, depending on their communities? Any advice for them on how they can engage?
2: That's actually an interesting question. We don't have many newcomers in our ward, Mm -hmm. but Councillor Perks has a lot of newcomers um, in his portion of the the new ward now, he has a lot of people from Tibet. Um, He has um, other groups who don't speak English. And those people usually don't reach out to us. So city councilors who have wards full of newcoming people to our country don't have as much interaction with those people. In that case, where I would go was I would be going to the local community groups who are there to help uh, these newcomers blend in. Board of Health, for instance, we work with some people um, who do cooking classes. So you have people living in apartment buildings, and they don't—they're just new to the country. They go to a grocery store; they don't know what to do with our fruit and vegetables. They look weird. They look, ne- you know, foreign <laughs> to us. They're normal. I probably wouldn't know how to cook their fruit and vegetable, but we do c- t- cooking classes. So it's part of what we do as a city to engage. If you want to contact a city councillor, there's always um, people who can translate. Mm -hmm. And there's community meetings also. We can have translators. So there are ways to reach out. But I would say majority of the time they don't reach out, which is sad because they get abused through landlords. They can be abused um, just generally on the street. And... If we know of this, then yes, we can react, but there are things the city can do to help.
1: I noticed in your bio you mentioned a few things. You've worked to protect our avenues from unreasonable development. (laughs) When we were researching online, we noticed that these articles were quite few and far, and they also, you had a lot of great reception from your communities and uh, constituents, but we didn't see massive media presence on this. And that's, a think, another component of why people aren't engaged with the communities. Mm-hmm. Why do you think the media doesn't give attention to the municipal issues, especially when they do great things for the community, or even when they do bad things, but maybe to the smaller levels?
2: It may also depend on the councillor. I'm not one to go out and get media attention, unless we need the media to help us do something. Mm -hmm. Some of these meetings, we banned the media. The reason being, we wanted residents to be able to speak freely. Uh, Not everyone likes having a camera in their face. Mm -hmm. Not everyone wants to think they're being recorded and it could go in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. So we sometimes do ban the media from sensitive meetings. There's a lot of media around City Hall. It's a counsellor's choice whether you engage them or you don't. So media can be really good. I've always been open to answering questions of the media. I find them responsive, respectful. This latest debacle converting 44 counsellors into 25 When we'd spent four years consulting for two years with residents about how many wards we should have, and we came up with 47, Mm -hmm. which, as I said earlier, would have actually allowed 10 new councillors to come into the city council, Um, the media was all over it. And I think they were quite fair. We know that the province has the right to actually completely dissolve council if he wants to, they want to, they have the right to reduce the number of councillors, But doing it in the middle of an election was completely unfair to every resident in this city because residents were behind me, I was registered, I was running, they were supporting me, and then I step aside, that was unfair on residents. They would then have to choose, do you vote for Sarah or do you vote for Gord? So the media did get involved there. I respect to them for getting involved. So, yeah, some of our little things do go under the radar. Sometimes I like to go under the radar because if it gets in the media, then it gets all stirred up and you don't actually get the vote you want at city council.
0: And you lose control of the narrative. You
2: do. But I like to go, as I say, under the radar and then councillors go, "Oh, what did I just vote for? (laughs) Yes, we won that one.
1: (laughs) Now, that's that sounds troubling as As well. (laughs) If our (laughs) councillors are voting and like, wait, what just happened? Well, once in a while. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) Um, Well. I'm not sure if you consider us the media, but nonetheless, thank you for the exception. (laughs) Um, We've been touching on this a bit and right now, actually, but we'd really like to kind of boil down to the crux of the matter. Um, With the recent change in the Toronto City Council that you've alluded to earlier, uh, can you help us understand what the difference is, the fundamental difference between a council of 47 and 25?
2: For 25 councillors, one, they are going to spend so much more time on boards, on committees, reading agendas, being in meetings, that when it comes to city council, you're only going to need 14 votes to approve something like a subway. What you are doing to a gardener?
0: So it seems like it'll be very easy to kind of naturally develop factions within the council itself, aside from spending them thin.
2: I think it'll be actually worse. I think you're gonna have your cliques more than you do now, because right now, we need 23 people. I think you're going to find it more divisive than it is now. You're not having good representation. For instance, Councillor Perks and I have two wards, High Park, Parkdale High Park. Parts of my ward are very, very different to parts of Parkdale. I don't have safe injection sites.
0: Right.
2: We do have food banks, but not as many. He has different issues with streetcars and different bus routes. How is he going to vote at council representing his ward when his ward is quite different from one end to the other. We already had councillors who would say, well, the north part of their ward was conservative and the south part was liberal. They had trouble already with 50, you know, 40,000, 50,000 residents. How are councillors actually going to be able to represent their, their community with 110,000 residents? In my first term, Doug Ford came to me one day and said, Sarah, why don't you support my brother, Rob Ford, who was the mayor? And I said, what do you mean, Doug? It's not that I don't support your brother, Rob Ford, the mayor. It's the fact that my residents don't support what your brother is doing. So I think it's going to be much harder with 25 councillors to actually get people in agreement. And I think it's going to be much harder for the councillors, as we talked about, to be engaged in their communities.
1: Are there any benefits to a council of 25? Is there anything that you would say, now that we're in this situation, Is there anything that you can see coming forward that could actually be beneficial to the city or would be very helpful for residents because of this change? And you know what? I'm also take it a step further. Had it, so that's a two-part question. Had it not been Doug Ford, would the council have accepted the change if it was through a more traditional process?
2: So the first part of your question was, is there any benefit to it? No. Doug Ford says it's going to save us money. It's not. We've just spent the last two years renovating the second floor of council of the city hall for forty-seven councillors.
0: And one would imagine the legal bills alone would have taken up. Well, much forget of the even the legal, legal bills. bills. And
2: I've actually already I put a motion forward asking city clerks to tell us how much it actually cost us to run this election because they were running two elections. Right. At that point, we were already over two million dollars over the budget line to run the election. But when you're designing a building for forty-seven councillors, and suddenly you've got. 25 councillors who we hope will be allowed more staff. I couldn't fit another staff person in my office. So, if I was run, if I ran and I won, I can only fit four staff in my office. So, where are you going to put the extra two, three staff? You're going to have to do more renovations to change it. So, I don't actually see any benefit. Possibly it might be easier for the mayor to get things through, but that depends on which councillors are in. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we would have accepted the change if it had not been in the middle of an election period. So, if after the election, or if Doug Ford had stepped forward and said, for 2022 election, you're going to do 25 council, I think we would have accepted it better because we wouldn't have suddenly been changing the rules in the middle of a game, in the middle of an election. It's like when you're playing a game of soccer. I play soccer, they play football. (laughs) You know, you suddenly say, okay, everyone, stop. All right, now, all the boys have to play this way and all the girls go that way. You're not gonna be co-ed teams anymore. Changing the the rules in the middle was so wrong. We had people running for council who quit their jobs, who moved to live within the boundary of where they were gonna be representing. You don't have to live within your boundary, by the way. You do not have to live within your ward. But people sacrificed all these things, and then he suddenly goes and changes it. So I don't think it was a matter that it was Doug Ford. The only reason it was done was because Doug Ford has a grudge against city council, because in the term his brother was the mayor, city council voted to remove the power from the mayor, which was the right thing to do, seeing this, considering the circumstances. So it's nothing to do with saving money, making us more efficient, being better for residents. In fact, it's the opposite. We're a growing city. Ward 13 is looking at another 5,000 units being built in the next five to seven years. That's 5,000 units. You know, 10, 12, 15,000 residents. On top of now, 110,000. And I don't even know what what, uh, development Gord Perks has coming in. I know of two buildings, but that's it.
0: Well, we don't really know what Gord Perks has coming in. But we also don't know what you have coming in. So we're not really sure. What do councillors do after their time in City Hall has come to an end? <laughs> What's next for you?
2: Oh, it's such a good question. I wish I had an answer. Um, so I honestly don't know, but I'm sure that something will come up. And uh, I hope it's still in this community. I, I, Even though I live here, I'd love to be working within our community.
0: So, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. We thank you. And so do our listeners. It's we really appreciate your candor throughout this entire conversation. You know, you've given us some uh, some opinions, but also an objective perspective of what a councillor does, what the council is supposed to do, what a are supposed to do for their constituency. And I think we have a much greater appreciation now, and for anyone who's listened, of the meaning behind why you need to actually engage. The, the meaning of community. Municipal politics is something I think everyone can relate to, right? And that's why we really wanted to dig deep here, and you helped us do that, and we appreciate that.
1: So
2: You're welcome. You. Yeah. You're welcome.
0: It's been an absolute
1: privilege. I think we've learned a lot. Yeah. I really appreciate, I think, pushing back on some of those harder questions. Uh, I think it's about having honest conversations. And I think you've done a great service to your community. We weren't a part of it. So uh, we, through the reports, we know. But it's uh, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about these issues. And I think we, let alone the people that listen to this, take away that council does have an important effect on our lives. Mm-hmm. And I guess, last question, I'm just going to throw that in there. Mm-hmm. What are some advice you would give to people to engage with the communities or even people who are considering running? Like, What's your love of City Hall that you want to leave behind?
2: Oh, gosh. Uh, for residents, I say get involved in your community, get involved in your residence associations. I think I leave at City Hall the fact that councillors are approachable, our offices are approachable, but we can only help when we know what's going on. And I do encourage people to come to community meetings don't just say, oh, it's going to be a development and there's nothing I can do. That's not true. Every development we've had in this ward, we as residents, as counsellor, we have changed those developments for the better. We haven't been able to make them go away, but we've definitely changed them. And that's with the input from residents. So resident, residents desperately should get involved. Know what's going on in your community. That really helps your counsellor as well.
0: Thank you so much again, Sarah. You're welcome. We really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Uh, we wish you all the best in your future endeavors. And if I recall, the last time you didn't get to cook during Christmas, so maybe we'd expect a call <laughs> anything nice. Sounds good.
1: All right. That wasn't as bad as I thought for a first interview, but I do remember how nervous and hungry I was throughout that entire thing
0: but we couldn't have asked for a better first guest. She was calm, cool, collected, and had a very comforting presence. It also didn't hurt that her accent's amazing. Slowly roll, buddy. Remember, she's married. Now, what are some of the things we learned? That counselors matter, that the committees they sit on matter, and that the responsibility is on us to be engaged as much as it is on the counselors to actually promote engagement. It's not scary. They want us, or at least should want us, to reach out to them.
1: That's nice and all, but in reality, how many people go to the committee meetings? how many of us read the publicly available reports that are released by the city. The point is, we as citizens need to put the
0: work in. We can't complain about society if we don't even know what's going on. And people should know where their money is going and how it's being spent. Democracy only works if everyone is involved.
1: On a separate note, I didn't know about 311, which is that 24-7 number that Sarah mentioned that helps you with city issues, like garbage collection, potholes, and winter issues. But after this interview, I actually helped a friend use it one time when they missed her house on garbage pickup day because a car was blocking her driveway
0: and shining a light on some of the good work they do, Sarah also mentioned Streets to Homes, which is a program funded by the City of Toronto to help people with a history of homelessness to transition from living on the street to living in permanent housing. After they've been matched to an agency, those who participate in Streets to Homes will get 12 months of follow-up assistance and counseling to help them get back on their feet, with the goal of giving
1: them the skills they need to become self-sufficient and maintain their housing over the long term.
0: Also, random fun fact, this is not the only time Prakash has tried to end an interview with a difficult question, and the guest answered the question really easily because of their hardline stance. Yeah, yeah,
1: thanks for bringing that up. I try my best to ask tough questions and they end up being easy because our guests are strong believers in their cause. We'll get them next time!
0: And while you're busy plotting their demise, we do want to thank Catherine Trimble and Andrea Friesalon from the Counselor's Office for assisting us with scheduling the interview. Don't forget to follow our social media pages
1: on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for updates. Feel free to share your comments with us, and if there are any future topics you would like
0: us to explore, let us know. Finally, if you liked what we discussed today, feel free to share it with friends and family. We can't tell you how much we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us next time on the
1: Real Talk Roundtable.